Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. This is your host, John Landis. Thank you for joining the Jam Session Radio Hour. Tonight we're going to have part two of two different uh, of, of two sections of interviews that we've done with Peter Erskine, who's a, a, a really wonderful drummer, a wonderful jazz talent, and a person from whom we can learn a lot, as we have from uh, previous interviews that we've done with John McLaughlin and, and Tom Scott and others. And if you're enjoying these, we'll continue to bring you interviews, especially during this period of time when we're... Um, compromised in terms of bringing you live music. Uh, we can bring you shows that we've pre-recorded, but for a while we can do these interviews because we're lucky enough to have access to a wonderful series of interview, interviews from the NYU Jazz Interview Series done by Dave Schroeder. Again, this is this, this evening we're going to hear Peter Erskine, who was with Weather Report and uh, also with Steps Ahead, continues to make music, continued, uh, continues to make music on his own. Um, and has worked uh, in these various groups with the likes of Joe Zawinal, uh, Wayne Shorter, Jaco Pastorius, um, Mike Mineri, uh, Don Grolnick, Mike Stern, Randy Brecker, Mike Brecker, Michael Brecker. Um, so just in the heart of the fusion of uh, jazz um, and other material and uh, with these two wonderful groups, and uh, he's a very melodic and very imaginative drummer, and we can learn a lot, I think, from what he uh, what he teaches us during the session. Let's let's hear uh, part two of a two-part interview with Peter Erskine by Dave Schroeder. Um, so uh, we go to uh, uh, to the same rehearsal studio, and now there's a photographer, and we're going to pose for this photo. Now I want to tell my buddies in Maynard's band, you know, hey, I got the gig worked down so you know we're posing looking in the camera and all this shit and I said hey Joe what I said uh, can I tell my friends uh, oh, can I ask you a question and he goes, yeah and we're still posing I said yeah I was just wondering can I tell my friends I'm in the band posing Joe goes you can tell your friends you're going to Japan so I had solved the immediate problem. They needed a drummer for Japan. And then the Japan tour was you know, kind of a spectacularly great little honeymoon. Um, this box set, by the way, the, the one disc is pretty much devoted. It's my second night with the band, and it's, it's pretty great. Mm. Uh, I, I'm still kind of dazzled when I listen to it. Uh, it, it, was, it was fun, and there was a lot of excitement. Uh, so now I'm in the group, but we were talking about, you know, Zavonal. Mm -hmm. Joe not only had the old bebop kind of, you know, poke you and see if it's going to bleed anywhere or, you know, like the old Miles thing. Mm -hmm. you know, he barks, you bark back. Yeah. Yeah, you know how to play. You're cool. So my assigned reading is Nietzsche. Here I joined the band, Joe says, you know, it's like my homework, so... Uh, I read a little bit of Zarathustra, and then I get into, you know, uh, Man and Superman or whatever. And, you know, basically, it's the, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And I, I immediately recognize that. Of course, I'd heard it before, but yeah. I said, okay, that's, that's, I think, the lesson here. Um, and after the honeymoon period, then the sophomore uh, years or period begin, and... and, and 
and I had I had a tremendous amount to learn. And uh, and Joe was also famous for being pretty tough with drummers. Um, but we all we all liked each other a lot. Mm -hmm. You know that was kind of the overriding thing. We really liked each other. Um, and that had a lot to do with it. I mean, he got rid of one of his favorite drummers because the guy was such a drag in restaurants. Mm. He, he was just so kind of rude and unpleasant to the, to the wait persons that Joe said, it was just, you know, we got to spend a lot of our time living together and eating, and so it just became impossible. Um, anyways. Uh, Did he reveal that to you? Did he say he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he'd mention it. Um, it. I mean, it's funny. I'm not going to go into it here, but uh, he gave me the reasons that several guys were fired. Mm. It was it had very little, if anything, to do with drumming. Mm. <laughs> wow. It's Life usually it's it usually because they said something really stupid. Or, mm -hmm. um, and in in music, I mean, Joe, I, he actually told me. After I'm in the band, he says, "Hey, <clears throat> let me see your uh, let me see your passport photo." So I show it to him. <laughs> Take no offense, but except for the white hair, I, I had I had the goatee mm -hmm. and, and kind of like a, a the, the almost beetle bangs, but kind of calls mm -hmm. that peep our beauty kind of look, yes. you know. Joe looks at it, goes, "Man." Good thing I didn't see this before I heard you play. <laughs> I said, why? I said, I never would have hired you. Really? How come? I said, could you look like one of those jazz education motherfuckers? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, the sophomore period. Joe starts, starts cooking on me a little bit more and more. And... Jocko's getting really annoyed because the sound checks are turning into drum lessons. Mm -hmm. And these would often be instructive as far as I was concerned. Like uh, one time Joe said, hey, let me hear this beat you're playing on whatever tune it was. I can show it to Kip, but I'll just demonstrate it here. It was, it was something where the hi-hat was closed, so I wasn't having to move the leg or the foot to open and close the hat and playing, but I was bouncing the leg mm -hmm. like that. So Joe stops me, waves me this time, and goes, what's going on with your leg? I said, what do you mean? He goes, why are you, why are you moving it? Just keeping the time, you know, leave me alone. He went, no. Said, Put that energy into what you're playing. Wow. And it was great advice. And I still call on that. I'll catch something moving, you know. Because it's all about finding your center. It's all about focusing all that energy into the, what you're playing, into the music. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Jocko's getting really tired of, of sound checks becoming drum lessons, in his words. So he came up to me really exasperated. He said, man, he said, stop thinking so much. And he followed it up with, just concentrate, which was his way of saying, listen, just listen to the music.
Thanks for joining us. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour on WLIW-FM from Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. And uh, this is Long Island's only NPR station, so stay tuned to us. And years later, I would get the same advice, spoken a little differently, from Manfred Eicher. Now, I had already done two or three albums with Manfred, but either in New York or with my New York buddies. Now, I'm in Oslo, and I'm in the role of, like, Jack B. Jeanette all of a sudden. Gary Peacock, um, uh, Pally Mickelborg, and Jan Garberg. Mm -hmm. So these are like the ECM guys, you know. I sound like a really lousy imitation of Jack. Not even that good. I mean, it's just, and I couldn't believe it. We just did one tune and I heard it back. Now, the fact that I had just done a Bass Desires album with Manfred the day before, you know, he was still liking and trusting me. But he could see the look on my face, and we could all hear it wasn't quite working. So uh, trying to play like who you're not is just all part of the self-conscious thing. Mm -hmm. So Manfred comes up and says, he kind of pats me back. He said, it's, gonna be, it's all going to be fine. He said, just listen. You're not listening. And that was it. Yeah, that was it. And I just stopped, like trying to be whatever, and just listen to music. And like I said earlier, then then you're just playing what you hear. All the answers are in the music. All the information. Now, some choices are better than others, and some choices will lead you to better drumming solutions. But um, well, how did you feel about uh, the record Star with Garbarek and? in uh, Miroslav. It's a funny story about that album because the centerpiece never made it to the uh, to the disc. It's, it's, a sh it's kind of a short album. Mm -hmm. We had done this long improvisation and, and many albums I had done with Manfred that was part of the process. You would just start playing. Um, and he was a real genius for hearing the spot like, it could be a 12-minute improvisation. Maybe three minutes, however many seconds in, he'd go, let's start here. So this piece sounds like it's just flowering out of nowhere. It's actually we sort of, the process was we build up to that. Mm -hmm. And usually they wouldn't edit. They would just kind of start and stop. Uh, and so we had done a piece like that, and Miroslav and I were both like, wow. This is really great. Jan didn't like it. And, and, and Manfred seemed surprised because Manfred really loved it. He mm. was excited. But Jan said, it reminds me of the way I used to play. Mm. And Manfred just said, okay, we won't use it. That was that. Wow. So we were a little disappointed. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't even know how much I'd want to hear it, but I'm curious. It, it, it would be fun if it were possible to hear that again, but I think it's lost to the I age. I love that record. It's a fun album. Yeah. The other, the other thing about that album was the, uh, the first day we recorded, it was the day I, I landed in Oslo, and we went in ostensibly just to kind of rehearse or get sounds, and we recorded a fair amount that first day. That night, 
I just happen to wake up and I go, nah, it's not going to happen. I pray it's not going to happen. I turn on CNN. Bombs are falling on Baghdad. It was the start of the Kuwaiti-Iraqi war. Mm -hmm. And it felt very strange to be in Norway, to be in Europe mm -hmm. with all that happening. Um, the Peace of Mind anthem was, was a little bit of a personal response to that. Mm -hmm. I said, let's, let's, like, a little prayer for peace here, guys, you know. So the, the, the second day of the album, I mean, we got into the music, but there, there was definitely a vibe of all that happening. Mm -hmm. February or something? I remember it was cold. Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, ECM albums all have a yes. thing. I have some, someone else I want to talk about, and you mentioned him earlier, you met him at uh, the Stan Kenton camp, is Don Grolnick. Mm. And I was in the audience for all those uh, groups at Sweet Basil years ago, and I saw you with Brecker, the Breckers, and Barry Rogers, and mm. some Don. of my most favorite music in the world. Can Don. you talk about Don? Don was the kind of musician, uh, well, he's the reason I moved to New York. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, Zomino had, Zomino had been, you know, encouraging me, like, if you want to be a real jazz musician, you've got to go to New York. Um, but Grolnick and I had met on a Mike Minieri recording session, mm -hmm. an album called Wanderlust. And then Don flew me to New York at his own expense, put me up in a nice hotel to play, uh, I think it was Five Nights at 7th Avenue South. It was his first gig as a leader hmm. um, and he had the music professionally copied even a little band books made it was it was cute and then he recommended me uh, to Minieri and Brecker and Eddie to join Steps to replace mm -hmm. Steve Gadd mm -hmm. whose schedule had just gotten so nuts um, and then Steps led to the Steps Ahead thing and, mm -hmm. and that's why I left Weather Report then to to stay in New York and work with those guys. Anyway, uh, Grolnick was uh, a great friend. He, he was, I kind of leaned on him as a musical conscience. If I ever had any doubts musically about something, I could always go to Don. Or if I'd be in a recording studio and if I played something that was ill-advised, something dumb, I would instinctively look over, and I'd see his eyebrow go up. Just you know, we had these recorded gobos here, and, and he, somehow he, would <laughs> he had big eyebrows. Yeah, and I could just see that little bit of the eyebrow. Went, Oops, I didn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> and a um, couple of albums. Uh, my well, my first solo album. Uh, he only played on one tune. Kenny Kirkland did most of the piano playing, but I paid Don, put him on the budget for him to be there. I just wanted him to be there. He wasn't producing, I just wanted him around. Um, and he was great. Hmm. I know uh, Mike Brecker felt the same way. And, uh, yeah, yeah. brilliant composer, um, wonderful pianist and musician, and just an incredible human being. And, and the, the, the tour we did in, in London, that London concert CD, mm -hmm. I really cherished that one. Mm. The band was good. He 
he chose all of his notes very carefully, particularly with his writing. I mean, the writing was really was like a, a great painting, every piece.
Thanks for joining the Jam Session Radio Hour on WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. Tonight, we, the Jam Session Radio Hour, is featuring an interview of Peter Erskine by Dave Schroeder of, of NYU Steinhardt School. I want to talk about your, your foray as a leader with your Denon recordings. I was well, I did, a, I did a contemporary album first for uh, John Koenig, the son of Lester Koenig. What was the name of that? It was just called Peter Erskine. Okay. Uh, and that's the one that Kenny Kirkland played on. Um, and it was two, uh, two afternoons, pretty much, at a studio called Eurosound in New York. Uh, direct to a you know, two-track team. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, the first Denon album uh, called Transition, uh, a record uh, notable perhaps not just for the music, but by being selected on Branford Marsalis' website by all his fans and followers as, as having the worst cover of any jazz album in history. I brought that with me today for you to sign. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and it's funny because the photo was, we were joking, and all the other photos were like just so lousy that I said, well, I don't know, maybe use that. And they went <laughs> ahead and did it. And I, I was a little surprised when I saw them. I wasn't quite in the loop of everything with mm. the Japanese record company. Um, but it's an interesting album. It was an ambitious album, mm-hmm. uh, again, to do it in two days. Uh, and it's an album that, number one, introduced Vince Mendoza, a lot of people. Um, it was one of the earlier recordings of Joe Lovano. Joe Lovano, Kenny Werner. Kenny Werner. Bob Mincer. Mm-hmm. Now Mincer and I, you know, had gone to high school together, so I knew Bob since 1969. Mm. Um, and it was Mark Johnson who said, you should get, let's get Kenny and, and Joe on this. Um, and I, must have heard Joe like with, with Woody Herman's band mm-hmm. or something, but I didn't really know him that well. He was pretty fierce back then. He was amazing back then. He's still amazing. Yes. Um, so that was a that was a fun album. Motion Poet uh, was more of a uh, production thing. We we had five days to record that. Wow! And it was kind of a noble great cover, effort. by the way. Great. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I cannot <laughs> take any credit for it. A wonderful photographer named Todd Gray mm. took that photo. Um, that was that was a fun album, just for the ambitiousness of it, and, and I like some of the tunes. Um, but the, the story, for some reason, I, I want to tell is uh, the next album. It was called Sweet Soul, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was my idea to take this William Walton composition and do it as a ballad, which several people have done since. But I, the title is "Touch Her Soft Lips, Lips and Part," yeah. yes, which sounds terribly romantic. But it, uh, the line uh, uh, Henry V, uh, it's a soldier saying goodbye to his mother mm-hmm. before going off to battle, um, and it's a it's a short, very sweet piece in the uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier film. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would just work great as a as, as a, a as a jazz tune, and, and Lovano and Kenny and, and Mark, because Mark is just Mark Johnson, so noble and sparse. It was, it was just a it was very fun. It was the very first thing we recorded that day. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for joining us. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour on WLIW-FM from Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash slash radio. Um, And uh, this is Long Island's only NPR station, so stay tuned to us. Thanks for joining the Jam Session Radio Hour on WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org radio. Tonight, we, the Jam Session Radio Hour, is featuring an interview of Peter Erskine by Dave Schroeder of, of NYU Steinhardt School. We did another tune. It was a, a Vince Mendoza composition, and we're, we're recording everything to, to DAT, to DAT tape. Mm-hmm. DAT tapes were still pretty new in the day. Uh, so to do an overdub, you had to get two DAT decks and get the right level, and there no stopping or punching in. It was, we, you know, there was no digital editing yet that, that we were aware of. It, if you got a good take, you got a good take. Uh, so we thought it would be a good idea to add to like a, a synth sort of like kind of string, or but 
you know, that synth sound is not, you're not really trying to be strings, but it suggests a, a string pad kind of thing. So um, uh, I asked Kenny Werner to do it. Kenny goes to the booth where the piano was, and it's pretty much out of sight of the control room. You have to sort of go to the far end of the control room to be able to see. So Kenny, as far as he knows, is, is unobserved. Right, but what I'm hearing is so beautiful, I want to watch him. Mm -hmm. This was amazing. So Kenny's improvising the string part. He wasn't reading anything written. He's coming up, with, you know, just hearing everything he's playing. Moving lines, not so much counterpoint, because they're, they're kind of longer tones, but st it's not just, you know, dude's not just playing chords or triads. I mean, yeah. it's just... He's doing it with one hand. With the other hand, unobserved, except I saw it, he's conducting himself. And it was, it was amazing. And, I mean, if you think musically poetic, if you think of Don Quixote, you yep. completely think of Kenny Warner. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's... He and Don were both the kinds of musicians, Kenny Stone is. Uh, you can't imagine the notes being anything other than what they've played. Mm -hmm. That's the way to be. I'm grateful to have played all these things. I, I really like the Johnny Mitchell albums. Uh, anything I've done mm -hmm. with Vince Mendoza, I like. Anything I got to do with Grawlmaker, Mike Minieri, Mike Brecker. Mm -hmm. Weather Report stuff was cool. Um, but if if I may wrap this up with one final bit of advice. Excellent. And Johnny Richards, the great writer who used to arrange and compose for the Stan Kenton Orchestra in the 50s and 60s, at one of these summer camps in 1963, that the camp when I was nine years old that we were trying to figure out how old I was, uh, Johnny like kneeled down, I remember, and he, he he, he put his hands on my shoulders and he, and he looked me right in the eye and he said, he said, Peter, be sure to listen to every kind of music. So that's my advice. Be sure to listen to every kind of music. And be good to each other. Peace out. Okay, thank you, Peter. All right. Excellent.
We're so happy you were able to uh, join us and listen to this really interesting interview of Peter S. Erskine. Uh, we can learn so much from these people that Dave Schroeder has interviewed in his very interesting fashion. And, and, and again, this is really done for students. So, um, you know, they're talking about people that uh, you're going to be familiar with some and not others, but we're giving you a chance to give us a chance to really give you some, some unusual good music that you may not have heard before that can lead you into uh, enjoying these groups and, and others. And we'll continue to do so. Um, we appreciate you joining us for the second part in a two-part series of interviews done with Peter Erskine by Dave Schroeder from the NYU Steinhardt School. Um, our uh, musical choices tonight uh, were made in part by Fernando Valaderes, and uh, our theme music is by Silvano Monasterios from his track Tropical Mirage. Our co-producer and post-production master is Rafael Alvarez. Our musical director is Cleus Brondahl. I'm your host, John Landis. And thank you so much for our friends from NYU. That's Dave Schroeder, who did the interviews, who's head of the Steinhardt School there. And uh, producers, Joseph Vela, Ed Barada, Shake Up Productions, and the interviews made possible by a gift from Selma Gellert. Thanks again so much for joining us. We look forward to continue to bringing you, to bring you um, these very interesting sessions with some of the premier jazz musicians of our time. Stay well, stay healthy, wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands, take good care, enjoy yourselves in the meantime, and we'll all be back together soon. From the Jam Session Radio Hour, this is John Landis signing off, and good night. Good night.